1: Now, here we have a statement that tells us that both good and ill, or calamities, come from God. And frankly, that bothers some people, because they cannot reconcile bad things coming from God when the Bible says that God is good and loving. We don't have to reconcile it, we just need to believe it.
2: And I think it helps to remember that God's standard of good and bad usually takes a much longer-term point of view than ours. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We've been considering the battle against depression as Pastor Steve leads us in a study of Psalm 42. Are you familiar with the old expression, If life is a bowl of cherries, why am I always in the pits? Sometimes when we're in a painful situation, we may wonder where God is and what he's up to. Let's listen as Pastor Steve addresses these kinds of questions.
1: Now, the writer of Psalm 42 recognizes how he has left God out of the equation, and so he he just suddenly stops after giving us his reasons for being so down. He just stops listening to all the negative talk going on in his head, and he talks sternly to himself. He strongly exhorts himself to place his hope and his faith in God. And folks, that's exactly what you have to do if you're going to fight depression. It is a battle. Start telling yourself the truth about God and start believing it. That's what the psalmist does. But as we read on, we discover that even though he is working at at fighting and resisting his depression, he's still not out of the woods yet. Because as he continues to write this psalm, he tells us that he's still struggling with these feelings of being down and, and, and feeling gloomy. And so as he moves on, he gives us a second series of reasons for his depression and the remedy for it. He says in verse six, oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Now, as he starts off in these verses, he starts off by admitting that his depression has not left him. He's still downcast. He says to the Lord that his Soul continues to be in despair, and because he's still weighed down with his depression, he says that he remembers the Lord, which means that, that he prays to the Lord. He remembers him, so he prays to him, and the place where he is praying, the place where he is presently located, he tells us, is the land where the Jordan River starts. The Jordan River goes all through Israel, but it has a place where it starts in the northeast region of the land of Israel, in the Mount Hermon mountain range. Now, for those of you who have been to to Israel, you will recognize this location by a different name. In New Testament times, it is known as Caesarea Philippi. That's near the base of Mount Hermon. Now, as I said, apparently this was the psalmist's location when he was writing Psalm 42. Specifically, he tells us on one of the smaller hills Nobody has identified this to this day, but apparently in that day it was known, one of the smaller hills in this mountain range as Mount Mizar, which is where his captives apparently had taken him. And while he was there, he realizes that the the waterfalls that are rushing down the mountains to form the headwaters of the Jordan River, they remind him of how at the present time he's feeling. He compares what his soul is going through to the sound of the cascading waterfalls. When he says deep calls to deep, he means one roar of water is calling out to another roar of water and waves upon waves crashing down the mountain. In other words, he feels overwhelmed by his circumstances, and in a figurative sense, he feels like he's drowning in all of his problems. These waves upon waves of, of water just falling down remind him, that's how I feel. But here's something important to see. Notice how this man refers to his problems. He calls them your waterfalls, your breakers, Your waves, meaning that he attributes his problems to God. Now, why is this significant? Because it tells us that this son of Korah recognizes that all that has happened to him being taken against his will, the taunting of his adversaries, his removal from his ministry at the temple, all of these things are God's doing in his life. That is to say, he realizes that God is behind every one of his problems. He knows that God in his sovereignty, meaning he's in control of everything, that he has sent these waves of difficult circumstances into his life. That is a profound truth to understand. And I want us to think about this for a few moments. Because when we are depressed, it is easy to lose sight of the place of God's sovereignty in our problem, so that we think that somehow what's happened to us is because we're at the mercy of man's whims. We're just victims to the horrible things that, that other people do to us. Now, non-Christians always think this way because they have no understanding of the sovereignty of God and they don't receive spiritual truth. But no true child of God should ever think this way because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that even the bad circumstances in our lives have been sent by God. Now, the Lord is never guilty of committing evil himself. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he do evil. But he does, and it's mysterious how he does this, but he sovereignly controls everything that others do to us, including their evil, so that whatever comes into our lives ultimately comes from his permissive and sovereign hand. I mean, all you have to do is is look at the life of Judas and see that. Was God responsible for what Judas did? Not at all. Judas was responsible for what Judas did. Was Did God predict that this would happen? Was God sovereignly in control of what Judas did in betraying Christ? Absolutely. But he's not responsible for Judas's sin. Listen to what Scripture says about God being sovereign over the bad things in life that happen to us. Lamentations chapter 3, in verses 37 and 38, we read these words, and I remind you, Lamentations was written after the destruction of Jerusalem, when Jewish people were were just broken over the fact that their temple was destroyed, their city was destroyed, and Jeremiah wrote this appropriately calling it Lamentations, because that's what he was doing, lamenting. Here's what these verses say. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill or calamities go forth? So what he's saying is nobody can do these things unless the Lord has commanded it to happen. Now, here we have a statement that tells us that both good and ill or calamities come from God and Frankly, that bothers some people because they cannot reconcile bad things coming from God when the Bible says that God is good and loving. We don't have to reconcile it. We just need to believe it. But let me go back to the very death of our Lord. What happens for us in terms of what Christ did, that was good. We even call it Good Friday. It wasn't a good day for him. Good Friday for us. What he did for us was good. It was the highest expression of God's love for us. Yet what Jesus himself experienced in terms of being betrayed by Judas, mocked and tormented by the Jewish religious leaders and crucified at the hands of the Romans, that was just evil, pure evil. Evil. But the Bible makes it clear that all of this evil was under the sovereign hand of God. God let these men do what was in their hearts to do. So that when Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Our Lord responded to him by saying, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You think that you're calling the shots. You're not. God is. Listen, no one fully understands how God orchestrates his sovereign plan by using man's evil for his own purposes. Nobody understands that. But he does, because that's what Scripture says. And what's more, listen closely, he does it all for our own good, for our benefit. And the classic statement An example of this is found in the Old Testament story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. In reading about Joseph's life, one can't help but see that there's a pattern in his life, a pattern of horrible and unjust things that happened to this young man. Out of jealousy, and that was all that it was, out of jealousy he was sold into slavery by his evil brothers First, they wanted to kill him, but one said, no, let's not do that. But they sold him into slavery. So he ends up eventually being sold to a, a man in Egypt, a leader, a captain of the guard. So he's in Egypt, he's in this man's house, and this master's wife tries to seduce him. And when he wouldn't give in to her seductions, she falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. So because of that, he's thrown into prison where he meets two of Pharaoh's servants and he interprets some dreams that they had with the request that, that one of them, upon being released, would tell Pharaoh about him, that he's in prison unjustly here, so could he get him out? But this man forgets. And listen, a little bit of time didn't go by. Two whole years go by with Joseph languishing in prison before he, this man finally remembers to tell Pharaoh about him. Now, the questions are these. Could God have restrained Joseph's brothers from selling him? Absolutely, but he didn't. And could he have restrained this malicious woman from falsely accusing Joseph? Yes, he could have, but he didn't. And could he have brought Joseph to the mind of Pharaoh's servant a lot quicker than two years? Yes, but he didn't. So what was Joseph's assessment of all of this evil? And it was evil done to him. After all of these bad things had happened to Joseph, instead of getting bitter, instead of having a pity party, Joseph looks back at his life and these events, and here's what he says to his brothers, and I think you're familiar with this, but this is important to understand. He said this, you meant evil against me. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say you're really good guys. You just had a momentary lapse. I understand. I'm an annoying person, and that's why he, did. he didn't say they He said you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. What's he talking about? The good that Joseph was referring to is that it was through these unjust events and circumstances that God eventually made him the prime minister of Egypt so that he could be in a position that when Israel faced extreme famine, fledgling nation, in danger of being wiped off the people groups of the world, that Joseph would be in this position to provide food for them so that they would survive and all the promises of God through them would take place. And many years later, the Apostle Paul would echo Joseph's words in his oft-repeated statement of Romans 8.28, and we know, Paul said, that all things work together for good, To those who love God, meaning believers, to those who are called according to his purpose, meaning believers are called for the purpose of ultimately becoming like Jesus Christ, character development. That's how God works in our lives. He uses all these things to develop us to be like Jesus. Listen, you may not understand how God is using the horrible circumstances of your life for your good, but he is. Paul said we know these things, not that we understand them, and we know these things. And that's what you have to hang on to when you're going through a time of depression. You may be down emotionally, but you can still trust God. You trust him that he is sovereign, he is good, and he is wise. Writing on this very issue of trusting God in light of him being sovereign, author Margaret Clarkson has written these wonderful words, encouraging words. She said, the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. It's great to know. Now, going back to Psalm 42, we know that the psalmist believed in the sovereignty of God. He tells us that because he speaks of these bad circumstances as God's waterfalls and God's waves rolling over him. He also recognized that although God had sent these troubles into his life, the Lord was loving and he was kind. And I say that because of what he says in verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime And his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. In spite of his perilous situation, this man knows that God will direct his love to him in the daytime. In other words, out of love for his welfare, God, he knows, will protect him each day. That's what he's saying. And his response to this love from God is that at nighttime, he said, he's going to sing to the Lord, which would be his prayer. He tells us that's his prayer. Apparently he would do this, sing at night as a prayer to the Lord to encourage his heart, and lift up his spirits. You see, no matter how terrible, how horrible he felt, no matter how bad things got for him, this man, this son of Korah, he did not forget God, even far away from Jerusalem. He didn't forget God, but sadly he did feel at this point that God had forgotten him. Notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. I will say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Although the psalmist, he does understand that God is sovereign. He does know that the Lord loves him. He even refers to him here as his rock, indicating that God is his refuge from danger. In spite of all this, he still feels like God has forgotten him. That's what it feels like to him. And why does it feel this way? Why does he feel this way? Because from his perspective, God has not acted quickly enough to rescue him from his enemies and return him to his work at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, God has not forgotten him. He feels like God has, but God has not. So he's still struggling with some of the same old issues that caused his depression In the first place, which is what he tells us in these two verses, when he says his his enemies, he's already told us this, but he tells us again, because he's still struggling, his enemies continue to taunt him by saying to him, where is your God to help you? In fact, they are relentless, he says. They say this to him all day long. Could you imagine that? They don't leave him alone. They They harass him. Where is your God that you say is so great? Yeah, you worshiped him in the temple. You, you led people in worship. Where is he now? He says that it's so hard on him. It's caused him deep grief and mourning. It's even affecting his health. Notice he says, as a shattering of my bones. In other words, all of these taunts and attacks upon his faith, they were, they were crushing him to the point of breaking his physical health in some way. You see what this man is going through, this, this emotional, Roller coaster of going up and down between faith in God as sovereign and loving and yet doubting that God would take care of him. That's part of the very struggle that a believer has in being depressed. It's, it's a roller coaster of emotions. You know the truth about God, but you don't always apply the truth about God. And so you vacillate between faith and despair. That's exactly what this man is experiencing. So what's the remedy when you get like this? What's the remedy when you get depressed? What can you do when you intellectually know the truth about God? You know doctrine. You know Bible verses. But emotionally, you feel as if God has abandoned you and forgotten you. Well, the cure to all this, the remedy to this, it's the same one the psalmist mentioned earlier in the psalm. Verse 11, he comes right back to it. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The remedy to your depression, once again, let me say this, is just stop listening to yourself and all of your negative thoughts and start telling yourself the truth so that you apply your faith, you apply the truth about God to your situation. If you know that God is sovereign and you know that God loves you and that he's wise and that he's good, then just start preaching this to yourself. Start believing it. As Jesus said to his fearful disciples who, who felt that they were going to drown on the Sea of Galilee, he said, where is your faith? And as we saw from Ephesians chapter two, faith is a gift from God didn't originate with you. You were dead in sins and trespasses. How does faith come from a dead person? He's given us faith. God has given you the gift of faith to believe him. So apply your faith by believing that he'll bring you through this trial. Place your hope in God that you won't always be in this difficult situation. He will deliver you in his perfect timing and in his perfect way. He will help you. He will bring you out of your depression. This is what you have to preach to yourself. And you have to keep preaching it to yourself until it sinks in, until you apply the truth to your life. Depression is a terrible thing to go through. Horrible. But there is hope. And that hope is found only in Jesus Christ. I say to those of you who know Christ as your Lord, your Savior, you know that he loves you. You know that he's sovereign. You know that he will never leave you. You know that he'll never forsake you regardless of how you may emotionally feel. So preach these truths to yourself. Preach them to yourself about God and believe these truths. Preach it and believe these truths by applying them to your life and stop listening to all the error going on in your mind. Now, if you're not a believer... In Jesus Christ. And I say to you that your only hope is also in Christ, but first you have to turn to him. You have to cast yourself upon his mercy. You have to know that you're a sinner. You have to know that being a sinner means that you are under the wrath of God because God is holy and must punish sin. And if you continue in your sin, you will die in your sin and you will be punished forever in God's judgment. But God has done something by which sinners like you don't have to suffer like that. Christ has died for sinners just like you in order to bring you into a relationship with God. So cast yourself upon his mercy. Call out to Christ today to save you from your sin. You must respond to him by trusting him as your savior, looking to him as your Lord. And you will be made a new creation in Christ. And you will be given a new heart. You'll be forgiven of your sin and you'll be given the grace of God to go through depression just like this man did and have the hope that you'll come out of it. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you that your word is so very practical. We thank you that what this man went through we can relate to because the human heart is so prone to being emotionally down, to listening to false things going through our heads. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation who are struggling with depression, I pray that you'll help them to put into practice what has been preached to them, to start preaching to themselves, to start talking to themselves, to stop listening to themselves, and to start telling themselves the truth. Lord, I pray for that. I pray for that one struggling with depression, that these messages will be so very meaningful, not just for the moment, but long-term. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that nothing escapes your notice. Nothing is outside of your sovereign care. Those are such comforting truths. We thank you for that, Lord. We may not understand how your sovereignty works with human responsibility, but we're grateful that it does. Grateful that you know how it works. Help us to trust you and not put our minds above the authority of Scripture. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you. We pray that that they will see that their main problem is not depression, not trying to cope with life, but their main main problem is their sin. But there is a solution for that, and that's found only in Christ and the cross. So lead them, Lord, to the cross. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to honor you with our thoughts, to discipline our minds, so that we do not listen to error, but we listen to truth and we apply the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. I'm glad you could be here for Verse by Verse in our study of Psalm 42. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher, and he's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more about Verse by Verse, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or call Lakeside at 727 441 1714. I'm Jerry Peterson. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Maybe your thinking right now is more in line with the writer of this psalm who said in verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? We'll think about that on the next verse by verse.